Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. The holidays can be stressful, and it's important for us to consider not what we give this Christmas, but who we are this Christmas. This message continues Pastor Chad Gilligan's series called Christmas Presents. Well, we have launched a, a series of messages that we are calling Christmas Presents and uh, looking at a Christmas theme kind of being unique this way uh, this year as we go through the book of Ephesians. And here's our challenge. It's been to consider not just your presence, but your presence this Christmas. That you would consider not just your presence, but your presence this Christmas. That this Christmas is not about what you give, but about how you live. And it's not just about what you give to somebody else or what you pass on to somebody else, but it's about how you live your life this Christmas. And, and I told you last week, we're gonna get into, as we, as we continue to go through Ephesians chapter four, chapter five, we're gonna get into some really practical things that Paul talks to the church about. And one of them is something that I think we see, unfortunately, maybe in some ways, quite often at Christmas. I was listening this week to a, to a podcast and they were having a debate about what the best Christmas movies were. I think everybody probably has one that's kind of their favorite, or maybe they say, hey, every, every season I want to make sure I see this movie, and they were debating this, and I got thinking about it. Every one of these movies somewhere has some kind of bad guy, somebody who just because of Christmas, they're just angry. Have you ever heard of The Grinch? Have you ever, you ever seen the movie Elf with the angry elf? There's, there's always some character who just portrays anger. Oftentimes, they're the villain. And the same thing's actually very true in the a biblical story. The villain of the story in Matthew chapter two is Herod. He's kind of the Grinch. He's the angry elf in the whole thing. In fact, let's look at what it tells us. This is the story of when the Magi make their way to, um, to, to Israel and they, they come to try to find this child who has been born king of the Jews. And here's what we read, Matthew chapter two, verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Listen to this. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Have you ever made plans that you thought would be perfect and then somehow they got messed up at Christmas time? Have you ever had that happen? Man, you plan that perfect gift you're ready with that perfect meal. You've got that new recipe that you think is gonna wow everybody. You've got the schedule all figured out so that you can get to every one of the 23 homes you need to visit on Christmas Day. And then something doesn't go right. What you thought would all go right somehow has gone wrong. That's what happened to Herod. He had it all figured out. We don't have time to unpack everything about him and his life. We just know this, that he, he was an illegitimate king, but he ruled with an iron hand. And now all of a sudden, these foreign dignitaries show up and say, we're looking for the one who was really born the legitimate king of the Jews. And when he wanted everything to go right, all of a sudden things had started to go wrong. And Herod was disturbed to the point that things got worse and worse. And watch what happens in verse 16 of Matthew chapter two. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And you see this interesting thing that happens that when things don't go right, 
the natural response of the bad guy in this story was to get furious. It was to get angry. It was to respond in some way. And I know we don't typically think of the classic Christmas message on a Sunday morning to be about anger. But that's where we're going to go today. Because it actually was a very clear part of that first Christmas story, and it's where we are as we're making our way through the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to talk about this subject today, and uh, as we go through the book of Ephesians, we're watching how we're dealing with some very practical, just day in, day out, almost mundane kind of topics that come up in our lives. And I think it's very timely for us to address this one. If you were to read through chapters four and five of the book of Ephesians, you'll see that Paul begins to talk to the the people that are in the church there in Ephesus about just some very practical things. And what we're gonna do over the next course of the next few weeks is, is look at these in some general themes because he will talk about some key things multiple times as he goes through and is giving them instructions for living. And we're gonna look at some different topics, some different themes as we go through this. And today, we're gonna talk about the subject of anger And we're going to look at this, and here's what's so interesting. I think oftentimes when we look at Scripture, we think that the people in Scripture, even the churches that that Paul wrote his letters to, we think that they were perfect or that they didn't struggle or that they didn't have challenges. And what's so clear as you read through the book of Ephesians is that the challenges of today were the same challenges faced by the early church. The challenges of today, the things that we face in our lives, were the same challenges that were faced by the early church. So we cannot look at scripture and think that somehow the people that Paul was writing to were were so holy that they didn't wrestle with the same things we wrestle with. In fact, we're gonna find just how practical God's word gets when it talks about these things. So let's look at what he says. Two verses, Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 and 27. Paul says this, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I wanna share with you today four truths about anger. From this passage of scripture, four things that I think will help us, and we're gonna try to put it in the context of this season that we're in too, so that it can kinda help us to apply these truths in a way that's just right here in front of us, even in these next few weeks. Four truths about anger. Let's jump right into the very first one. Truth number one about anger. Number one, it is not a sin to be angry. It is not a sin to just be angry. And this is good for us to recognize at some point, anger, often in our, in our emotions, it often starts purely. It's not a sin for us to simply just be angry. Look at what Paul says again. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, he starts out this way and says, in your anger, do not sin. So he's defining a difference between the two, that you can be angry and yet not sin. So there is a difference between anger that is sin and anger that is not sin. And I think this is key for us because oftentimes I think we feel like if I'm a follower of Christ, then somehow I can't have emotions or I can't be challenged internally in some way. And the truth is this, just because you become a follower of Christ, it does not mean that you don't have deep-seated responses to things. Christians do not lose their emotions at salvation, right? In fact, actually, we've been designed as emotional beings by God, and he wants to use our emotions to be something that can bring glory to him and advancement to his kingdom. So anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. Christians do not lose their emotions at salvation. Here's the reality of it. When something is not right, it is natural for us to have a deep-seated emotional response of anger. When something is not right, 
It is natural for us to have a deep-seated emotional response of anger. Have you ever watched someone else be wronged and you feel angry about that? Have you ever watched something wrong take place and in your spirit there's something that stirs up? It's not just emotion. It's not just passion. It's not just, huh, there's anger that comes. And sometimes when you hear of injustices that are done around the world, when you hear of human trafficking, when you hear of abuse that happens to children, there's something inside of us that stirs up sometimes that is not just a, a passive emotion, right? It's, it's anger. And that's a righteous thing. That's something that God has given to us when we see someone or something that is wrong. So consider this. There is righteous anger, there is righteous anger. Scripture talks about it. You know, there's times and places where the Bible says that God is angry, right? It talks about the wrath of God. Is that because God is just kind of stomping around heaven, just waiting to see where he can get ticked off? No. It's because God in his righteousness, when he sees things that are unrighteous, his natural response is to have a godly, righteous anger about it. Do you remember the story of Jesus in the temple? When he went into the temple... And what he saw there was unrighteous. He saw the vendors there who were selling things in the temple courts. They were taking advantage of the people who were coming to worship. And Jesus said, uh-uh, we're not having any of this. John chapter two says he made a whip and he went in there and he literally cleaned house. He drove the animals out. He drove the vendors out. He overturned their tables. Did he lose his cool? Did Jesus sin in that moment? No, it was righteous anger. Now look, let me encourage you with this. Do not use that story in John chapter two just because you don't like something that was made on Christmas day, right? <laughs> Angry, flip your table over and take your belt off and start whipping things. Don't do that. There's a real fine line there. Let, let's leave that kind of righteous anger to Jesus. But understand this, there's, there's righteous anger and there's also what I would just call normal anger. There is normal anger. There are times and things and places when people will say things, when things will happen, when things will just not go right, that our natural response is to be angry, to respond in some way when we are up against a frustrating or an unfair situation. And what Paul raises here in Ephesians chapter four is this point. He says, in your anger, when it comes, be careful that you do not sin. Because I've watched people do this. I've watched people begin to respond out of righteous anger or out of normal anger. It starts with something that is pure inside of them, but as a result, because we, we fail to be able to kind of manage that, that rush of emotion, we take what is a righteous or a pure or a normal anger and we let it become sinful anger. And so we have to be careful. See, being angry is not a sin. It's what you do with it. I've heard it said, you need to ask yourself the question, do you control your anger or does your anger control you? Do you control your anger or does your anger control you? That's the question that you've got to ask, which leads us then to kind of this second thought that is key for us to consider today. So, so on the one hand, Paul says, look, in your anger, do not sin. So he tells us, number one, that it's not a sin to be angry, but I think the second thing he wants us to see is this. Number two, it is easy for anger to become sin. Number two, it's easy for anger to become sin. I would guess that more often than not, anger becomes sin than the times when it doesn't. Because anger is so deep inside of us, it brings something out of us that oftentimes um, is a real challenge for us. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, Paul says, in your anger, do not 
sin. Now let, let's do this just so we can make a differentiation here. Throughout the rest of the sermon, here's a bit of a disclaimer. When I use the word anger, let's assume that we're talking about sinful anger. Not, not righteous anger, not trying to justify things. Let's talk about anger today in the sense in which Paul is wanting us to focus, which is this, the idea of how do I steer clear of sinful anger in my life? And Paul's not the only one who talks about this. I mean, this is all throughout Scripture. Proverbs kind of majors on this idea. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22 says this, that an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person. Isn't that quite a definition? A hot-tempered person. A person whose temperament is right there at the boiling point. It's already enraged. It's inflamed. That a hot person, a hot, not a hot person, that's, whew, a hot, um, I caught myself in the monitor. A hot-tempered um, Sorry, sorry. A hot-tempered, next week will be about humility, by the way. A hot-tempered person commits many sins. So what does sinful anger look like? If, 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 I'm, if I'm responding in a way out of anger that is inappropriate, what does it look like? Well, if you read down in Ephesians 4, Paul helps us to understand this. He defines it for us. He uses six words to talk about anger. And, and in this, each word kind of has a little bit of a different nuance He's using words that are similar in meaning to help us understand a little bit how this is expressed as sinful anger. Look at this, Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Think about those words for just a moment. Bitterness. And we're, we're gonna take some more time next week and actually talk about this subject, believe me. Christmas message, but we're gonna talk about this idea of bitterness because anger is, is, is usually external. It's kind of reactionary. It's something that is outward and oftentimes happens in a moment. Bitterness, ah, it's, it's got that idea of something you, you taste, something that you savor. Bitterness is usually something that kind of sinks in over time. It's more internal. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more next week. Paul uses the word rage. Rage is that uncontrolled outburst, that passion of the moment. When I'm so angry, there's just something that just boils up and just kind of spews out of me. He uses the word anger here, and anger ha has that idea almost of, of it's very personal. It's this idea of personal animosity. It's provocation. It's that deep hostility that raises up inside of us. He takes it then from kind of the, the, the immediate expression to our mouths, because oftentimes, isn't it our words where our anger is most expressed? He talks about this idea of brawling, which is this noisy assertiveness. I want you to hear me. You're gonna hear what I have to say. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna speak my mind, I'm gonna get this out, and I'm just gonna say it. And then he goes on to slander, because slander goes beyond just me speaking my mind to me somehow attacking you. It's abusive, it's slanderous. It's me saying something harmful against another person. 
And then because he wants us to just understand this, he uses the word malice. He kind of puts it all in this one big bucket and says there is, this, there is this idea of anger that comes deep from inside of us that when we respond out of a deep-seated emotion towards someone, typically because, and here we come back to where Herod was, something happened that I did not want to have happen. I am frustrated. I am angry. I am disappointed. And it stirs something out inside of me, and this malice comes out of me, and I'm gonna respond in some way. Paul says that's when anger becomes sin. Understand this, sinful anger leads to a response of words or actions that is reactionary, ruinous, and regrettable. Sinful anger leads to a response, whether it be in our words or in our actions, that reactionary, it's kind of knee-jerk, it's what we do, it is ruinous, it hurts something, it ruins something, and typically is something that is regrettable in our lives. I remember kind of the first time that I was, I, was, I want to say it was like my eighth birthday, and we were having a, a, a birthday party uh, for me, and um, it, was, it was that time in between opening the gifts and having the cake. I remember it was a bunch of family was there, and we were down in the basement of my mom and dad's house, and, and uh, the party was going pretty good, except for the fact that my cousin was trying to steal the show. Did he not know it was my birthday? It was all about me. I don't remember the fine details. I just remember that that dude was on my last nerve. And I'd had enough of him and his shenanigans. And I just remember, and I don't know if you've ever kind of, have you ever been to that point where you just kind of begin to like, you, you, you have that thing that's, that's burning inside of you. And it's that anger that's stirring up. It's almost like you begin to see red. And all around you, you just begin to kind of feel it. It's just kind of stirring inside of you. And I just remember I had had enough and Robbie had pushed my buttons, and we were done with the gifts, and we were moving towards cake, and I was walking past him, and I'd had enough of him, and I just looked at him as I walked by, and I just spit at him. (laughs) I just, man, showed him. My dad showed me, I can tell you that. (laughs) But there's those moments. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can laugh at me because you're laughing at yourself. There's just that rage. There's that anger. There's those moments where you see red, where there is, you, you feel that throbbing in your brain. You wonder, why am I not thinking right in this moment? Because there's that anger that comes, and it so quickly can become sin. What makes you angry? You know There are people, there are things, there are topics that every time it's brought up, there's something that stirs inside of you. There's pet peeves, some of which are are sensible, some of which are just nonsense for you. But there's these things that just for whatever reason, oh, it just stirs something up in you. And I wanna encourage you with this. Paul says, look, in your anger, do not sin. What that means is you gotta think about this. You need to think about this before, during, and after the opportunity that you have to sin. You've got to take time and think about it. Think of it this way. You need to know yourself before you get in an angry situation. You need to know yourself enough before you get in that angry situation. Look, the, the deal is, you know the places where you're going to be prone to anger. There are certain people, maybe it's not for you, but it was for me when I was eight years old. It was for me now. That there's certain people 
that I'm just gonna be prone to respond to in a way that's, 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 that's possibly not gonna be godly. So I need to think about this before I get in that spot. I need to know myself enough before I get in an angry situation to have thought through how am I gonna respond? What am I not gonna do? This is key at the holidays for many of us because we find ourselves in high pressure situations filled with joy and peace and rage and frustration. <laughs> right? So know yourself before you get there. Here's what Proverbs says, Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. So you know what? If I know the places where I could be quick-tempered, I need to, before I even get there, slow that temper down. It's even important who you're with. Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So before you ever get there, think about this. Then let me challenge you with this. You need to not only know yourself before the situation, you've gotta control yourself during an angry situation. You've gotta control yourself during that angry situation. Now I know, you say, Chad, that's easier said than done. In a couple of minutes, we're gonna talk about maybe some steps that might help us when we find ourselves in those situations. But during those times, it's important that I go, God, will you help me to control myself? And the reason why I just say it so practically is because Paul is speaking here so clearly to the church in Ephesus. And he's saying to them, because of what Christ has done in your life, and remember we talked last week about all the things that we put off? We're gonna put off that thinking. And then he says, as a result, I want you to steer clear of sin in your anger. Control yourself during that time. And then he goes on to say this, uh, and, and I think this is key, that you never excuse yourself after an angry situation. That you never excuse yourself after an angry situation. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that you don't apologize. I don't mean that you don't ask for forgiveness in those times when you're angry. I mean those times when you try to make excuses for what you did. When you try to say, well, the reason that happened was because of what they did to me. It's easy to blame somebody else for your road rage. Or that you don't make excuses like, well, my, my family heritage is of angry people because I am of this ethnicity. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I had a college roommate who used to blame his ethnicity for his, his uh, lack of patience. Nice try. Well, my dad was angry. My, my so-and-so had a short fuse. Man, that's not an excuse. This is key that you understand this. You may be able to explain your sinful anger, but you cannot excuse your sinful anger. You may be able to explain your sinful anger. And the truth is this, you may be prone to wanna to be angry in that parking lot scenario. Have you ever had parking lot anger? Okay, no one's confessing. I have, I have. There's a parking lot across the street from here that has tested my Christianity more than once. Here's the deal though. In that moment, it, I can say this is why, but it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't make it right. It's still sinful anger. So that's why before, during, and after, I gotta get a handle on this thing. I gotta be able to do this. I gotta recognize that it is easy for anger to become sin, which then leads to the third thing that Paul says. Here's the third truth I want you to see today. Number three, anger should be dealt with in the present. Anger should be dealt with in the present. 
Now, I almost wanted to use the word quickly there, that anger should be dealt with quickly, but sometimes a knee-jerk reaction to anger is not the wisest one, right? So I think we need to deal with anger in a way that's filled with wisdom in the present. Deal with it before it has a tendency to kind of, you know that if something simmers long enough, it's eventually gonna boil over, right? So you gotta deal with that thing before it reaches that boiling point. Here's how Paul says it, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So here's the deal. You need to deal with anger personally. And let me tell you what I mean by that. You've gotta deal with it personally. If you have some kind of provocation, let's say at work, and you and, you and a coworker have some kind of challenge, and you find yourself at home, and you're still really angry about that, and you look outside and the sun is almost going down, what do you do? <laughs> Don't let the sun go down on your anger. How are you, how are you gonna handle this? Well, the deal is you probably shouldn't jump in your car and pound on the door of your coworker's house and say, we're gonna figure this out right here, right now. That's probably not the best way, is it? I think part of this, you've gotta deal with this anger personally. You gotta take the sting out of that before it simmers too long and boils over. Paul gives to us, in fact, this was a a typical analogy of the first century, deal with it before the day's over, before the sun goes down, before, before you close this day out. You need to personally deal with this. You need to find a way to take the sting out of this anger. That doesn't mean you're gonna be able to bring reconciliation completely between you and that other person. One, the time might not allow for it. Two, the time might not be right for it. Three, the person might not be open to it. But you gotta deal with that. You can't allow that to continue to boil in your heart to the point that it becomes destructive. You need to deal with it. This is so key because anger is a self-centered emotion. Sinful anger is a self-centered emotion. What does it do? It causes me to look back on myself. Where was I done wrong? Where did somebody take advantage of me? Where did somebody say something about me that I did not like to hear? Whatever it looks like, it brings it back to me. So at some point, this has to start here. It has to start with me dealing with anger personally. And that may be you and Jesus. You're laying in your bed and you've gotta walk this through with the Lord and say, God, will you help me to deal with this anger? Lord, would you help me to get rid of this? I I give this to you. I I turn this over to you. Maybe there's a scripture, even one that we'll look at today, that you have to, remember we talked last week about times when you have to exchange what is wrong in your mind and replace it with what is right? Maybe this is a place where you have to take those angry thoughts and replace it with a biblical scripture. And I'll tell you, this is how it works. Because in those times when you're wrestling with that angry moment, and you say, Jesus, will you help me to deal with it? And you find a moment of peace. It's not long till anger is a return customer, right? And comes back around. He says, but can you believe what they did? And that's when you deal with it between you and Jesus, and then you repeat. <laughs> and then you repeat. And you, you help to walk through that. You have to deal with that anger personally. You also have to deal with it relationally, though. You, you've got to deal with anger relationally. There's been some kind of challenge between you and another person, At some point, you've got to dig down and you've got to take care of that because there is a corporate side to anger. So when the timing is right, when it is wise, before it's gone on for too long, you need to to go and you need to deal with that issue. We don't have time to, to maybe completely unpack what that looks like. And we're talking about how do we how do we handle this anger and deal with it in the present. But let, let me let me take it to it this way, because this is where it may come face to face with you in the the next uh, couple of weeks. 
What do you do when you find yourself in an angry moment? Because there's these moments that present themselves in every day of our lives, but in particular, I, I think you can see it in, a, in an intensified time like the holidays, where you can come face to face with an angry moment. How do you handle that? How do you deal with that? How should you view that? Do you, has anybody ever been in that place where you're face to face with someone and you go, this could blow up in our faces? Anybody? Do you know what I mean? Okay. How do you handle that? I don't know. Let's pray. And uh, Aaron, can you help me out for a moment? Uh, Aaron, Aaron's got a, a, a gift he's going to bring up here. So if you want to come on up, um, give Aaron a big hand. This is my friend Aaron who's coming up to help us out here. This package that he's bringing is going to signify this moment that's between us. This time when there's this place. Um, stay right there. Don't get too close. Okay, thanks. Okay, uh, Here's the question. How do you handle the moments that present themselves like this? How do you handle those moments when they present themselves? And this gift is gonna signify that moment when you can look in someone's face or you can sense in that time there's the potential here, either in my heart or in their heart, for there to be a moment that we've gotta be careful of. So, okay, Aaron, you, you come over this way. You're coming with that gift. You bring it this way. How do I handle this moment? And just for the record, this is not an angry dude, okay? So you, this is not like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, buddy. Okay, so this is good. So how's this work? Couple of things I hope you'll do. One is this. In that moment, focus on the person, okay? This person is bringing this, this moment to you. And if you're, if you're thinking of it wisely, whether it's in the office, whether it's in the school, whether it's in your family, whether it's at grandma's house or Christmas, they have this moment that if you'll handle it right, it could actually be a gift in your relationship. So how, how are you gonna deal with this? And I would encourage you, focus on the person. Here's what happens. When I was a kid and somebody would give me a gift, I did not care where it came from. I just wanted to know what was in the box, right? I ripped that thing open because it was all about me. What's interesting, and you'll watch this in people's lives, as you become more mature, you understand a different dynamic about gift giving. That gift giving is not just about me and what I receive, it's also about the giver, isn't it? Because if they're giving, they have something in mind. There's a response that they're hoping for. There's something they wanna see happen. And I can, I can truly enjoy that gift later, but in the moment, I need to be aware of who that person is that I'm interacting with. Look, when you come up to a moment like this that could be tense, when you come up to a moment like this that could possibly lead to an angry situation, it's important for you to know, I gotta know this person. On the one hand, you gotta know this relationship because this is my friend. So I don't want anything to happen here that could damage that relationship. In that moment when you're prone to get angry irrationally with your spouse or with your child or with a family member, when something could happen that could almost be impossible to repair, you gotta slow down for a moment. I gotta know this person. There's other times where you look at the person and you know you have a history with them. Do you know anybody who just likes to push your buttons? Wow, good thing we're talking about bitterness next week. There's those certain people. And if you've got a history with them, then you just know, okay, I gotta be careful here in this moment. At some point, if you're gonna diffuse an angry moment you need to take the focus off of yourself and think about that person. Think about that relationship. Think about that moment. It is critically important that you do that. Here's what it comes down to, actually. It comes down to a question of maturity. Who's gonna be mature in this moment? God calls you to be the one that takes the focus off of yourself and onto bigger things. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul writes this. 
Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. The mature person in the situation, in the relationship, whether this is in the workplace, whether this is at school, whether this is in marriage, whether this is in the church, whether this is in in, in family at Christmas, the mature person takes the focus off of themselves to be able to put it on someone else. Because I'll enjoy this moment. I'll enjoy this gift later if I will, in this moment, focus on the interaction between the people that's taking place. Does that make sense? So here's a second thing I'd encourage you to do, that you would recognize what is fragile in this situation. So Aaron's gonna hand me this box. Now, I might not know what's inside of it. Sometimes when people hand you something, they might go, hey, be careful, it's fragile. Or you shake it and it sounds like broken glass and you're like, okay, that's fragile. You know that you've gotta be careful with the contents in this situation. You've gotta be wise in how you handle it and what's been presented to you. You've gotta recognize what's fragile and you've gotta handle it with care. It's key that you're not reactionary. Oftentimes you can see that in someone's body language, you can see it in their face. If you're aware enough of the situation, if you know that there's that tension, sometimes it's just written really large on the package, fragile, it's Italian, right? You see that. And you're just careful what you do in that moment. Proverbs talks to us about that in a very clear way. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 says this, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. In that moment, recognize that you could be in a fragile situation. Be wise with what you do. Proverbs 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. I am in a potentially fragile situation here. This conversation that I'm having with my boss, this conversation that I'm having with my cousin, this conversation that I'm having with this very nice man who took my parking space is a fragile moment. I need to be careful here. I need to be wise what I do. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse nine. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Isn't that a powerful picture? Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do your best to understand them. Think about their experience. Sometimes the best thing that I can do is to view a situation through someone else's eyes because that that comment or that situation or this moment might not be that big of a deal to me, but because of their loss or because of their experience or because of what they've been through, I don't realize how fragile it might be for them, and I've gotta recognize that it's such a key thing if I'm gonna choose to handle this situation with care. So we need to focus on the person. We need to recognize what is fragile. Let me give you a third thing to consider. This is huge, friends. Choose your words wisely. Choose your words wisely. Aaron, thanks for this gift. Do you mind if I open it right here in this moment? See, this is that when you, when you get a gift and you don't know what it is, and it's like, oh, I'm so excited. But actually inside, depending on the giver, you're like, I have no idea what this might be. And you get a little nervous. You ever had that moment where you kind of open the gift and then you look inside and you're like, uh, oh, thanks. Do you know what I'm talking about? You shouldn't have. No, really, you shouldn't have. And you're kind of like, boy, I don't know what you were thinking. (laughs) And there's those times when we have to be so careful what we say, the words that we use, the way that we communicate. Because here's the deal. Words make all the difference. How you communicate something has incredible power. I know Aaron well enough to know that he's good at this. He's a guy who's able to speak the truth to somebody in a way that is very clear, 
but also does not do damage. You really need to be wise with your words. And sometimes there's, there's people that, that just say, well, I just speak my mind, or I just do this, and I just do that. But the truth is, your words can be so inflammatory that if you're not careful, they'll do far more damage than what you know. Listen to what scripture says. James says this to us. James chapter one, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Choose your words wisely. Be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Proverbs 15, one. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Isn't that true? It's so true. Choose your words. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it, because words will either diffuse the situation or they're gonna intensify it. And remember this, we're not just talking about spoken words here. I am watching how social media has the ability to destroy people's lives. Before you click post, before you click send, think about what you're about to say. Because it can be so easy for me to get on Facebook or for me to put a picture on Instagram or for me to say something on Twitter or for me to send that email in kind of a, in a, in a you know, huff and send that and I'm emboldened because I'm not face to face with that person. And I end up in that reactionary moment doing or saying something that has such tremendous power to not only wound that person, but mess me up as well. Does that make sense? Choose your words wisely. Here's why. I want you to appreciate the moment. I want you to appreciate the moment because here's what's gonna happen. How you and I handle this moment can either be a destructive thing or it can be a gift to us because here's the deal. Inside of this box is just, oh, thanks, Aaron, you shouldn't have. It's just a picture of me and my family. You're welcome. You're, thank you very much, yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. This moment is going to be a snapshot. What happens between you and I in this moment is gonna be remembered. And how I handle this is something that in our memories, whether we realize it or not, is gonna be framed, it's gonna be remembered, it's gonna last. And so I can't just take this moment as just some other kind of brief interaction. I need to appreciate this, because it's gonna affect our relationship, it's gonna affect my family, it's gonna affect your family, it's gonna affect our future dynamics. You have to appreciate this moment for what it's going to be. Because if you don't, by understanding the person and by dealing with what's fragile and by choosing your words wisely, you'll have a moment that you don't want. Thanks, Aaron, can you give Aaron a big hand? Appreciate it, man, thank you very much. Here's why. We must not allow an angry moment to be the moment that is captured forever. We must not allow an angry moment to be the moment that is captured forever. I was talking with a family member this week, and you know what we went back and talked about? We went back and talked about an argument that happened between two of our family members in front of a hospital 30 years ago. Almost came into a fist fight. I suppose in front of a hospital is not a bad place to have a fist fight. But here's the deal. From that moment on, it defined the relationship. It was never forgotten. We cannot allow an angry moment to be the moment that's captured forever. Here's why. Number four, let's wrap this up. Anger has destructive ramifications. Anger has destructive ramifications. Don't, don't gloss over what Paul says here. He says, look, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and here's why. Ephesians chapter four, verse 27, and do not give the devil 
a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Why? Because anger has destructive ramifications. That, that brief moment of rage, that brief word that you think doesn't have much um, consequence has destructive ramifications. Here's why. First thing, anger gives the devil a foothold. Anger gives the devil a foothold. Here's what that means. It means, that word foothold means to give space. In your life, when you're angry, you create a space for the devil to move into. I remember... Um, when we were in high school, Ron and I are high school sweethearts. We met um, when I was a, uh, a senior. She was a junior, and uh, um, she and her family had started attending the church that, that uh, I was from. And um, so I had kind of thought, boy, I'd, actually, I was, a, I was a junior. She was a sophomore, and I thought, boy, I'd kind of like to get to know this young lady. I was looking for the right opportunity. And a whole bunch of us were going to go bowling one night after youth group, and uh, Bowling Alley was kind of across town, and People were saying, hey, who needs a ride and this kind of thing. And I just said to Rhonda, I was like, hey, do you um, want, me, want me to drive you over there? And she's like, oh, yeah, that, that'd be great. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and I was, I was real sure to go, okay, hey, let's get out of here right away before some other loser wants to hop in the car with us. <laughs> and we got in my, my sweet old Cutlass Sierra with the sunroof. And I had that opportunity where I had her all to myself. I made space in her life for me to get in there and influence her, and it worked. (laughs) Whenever you're angry, you make space for the devil to come into your life, and you give him a foothold. You you create this, this spot for him to come in and get in your ear and get in your mind and get in your heart and get in your spirit. You give the devil that place that he can hold on to. Here's why I think. Because when you're angry, you not only make space for the devil, but you push God out of the way. See, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you get angry, here's what you're saying. God, um, I've got this. God, I'll take care of this. God, I don't trust you in this moment. So I'm gonna let my emotion, I'm gonna let my power, I'm gonna let my energy come in here, and I'll deal with this, God. And we push God out of the way because we really kind of insult God in that moment when we let our anger take over. And when we do, the devil goes, why, thank you very much. I'll step in there. See, anger gives the devil a foothold. The second thing that anger does is anger destroys relationships. You know this. I don't have to take a whole lot of time to talk about it. You've probably got your own family story of two people in a fist fight out in front of the hospital on the sidewalk. Because anger has a way that if it's not dealt with, it will destroy a relationship. But, but I, 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 for the sake of time, I just want to give you one last thought. If there's anything I want you to hear today, it's this, that anger hinders the blessing of God. Anger hinders the blessing of God in your life. Anger hinders the blessing of God in your life. There are things that God wants to do for you. There are things that God wants to give to you. But when you are angry and you make space for the devil and you literally push him out of the way, you limit his ability to do his work in your life. Think about it. If you go back and you look at the the book of Exodus, if you, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Josh, or uh, you know, the Pentateuch, you look at that. I went to Bible college. Um, Leviticus. You read that story. 
You see how in those books, Moses leads the people out of Egypt towards Israel. He's leading them towards the promised land. But what happens? There's this point when God has to say, Moses, you can't go in. Moses, you're not going into the promised land. When does he say it? Why does he say it? He says it to Moses when Moses loses his cool. Moses' anger kept him out of the promised land. And so anger does not work God's blessing in our lives. James chapter one, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let's go back to our Christmas story. Let's go back to Herod. What happened to Herod? The wise men show up. They say, look, we got a new king. Herod's disturbed. He says, why don't you see what you can find out about that? And then if you know the story, the wise men are are warned in a dream to go a different way. They circumvent Herod. They kind of trick him. They go back without going back to him. And when he finds out, scripture says, he becomes furious. What's the result? Well, for a whole generation of boys, he kills them. He he just wipes them out because he's afraid that one of them might be this king that's been promised. And as devastating as that was for Herod himself, do you know what happened? Herod missed Christmas totally because of his anger. He missed the fact that a savior had come and he 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 had a personal messenger come and say to him, the king is here. If he had dealt with his anger, he could have had a front row seat to the whole presentation. But Herod clearly missed the beauty of Christmas because of his anger. Matthew chapter two, verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Because of his anger, he missed out on what God was doing. And my concern for you is that if you let anger drive your life, you will miss out. You will miss the Prince of Peace if your heart is a place of anger. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And do not give the devil a foothold. I guarantee you somewhere in the next two to three weeks, something that you wanted to go right is going to go wrong. And when it does, when you're presented with that moment, how are you gonna respond? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you just to take a good look at your heart for a moment. For some of you, this this message is actually just, it's a preemptive strike. Before you get in that spot, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, preparing to you, calling you, and saying to you, Be ready. In those moments when things don't go right, don't do what's wrong. For some of you, this message has led to a a moment of regret because you know those times when anger has gotten the best of you. It may even be leading to you to a moment of repentance. But Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus because he knew that they they were challenged with the same things we're challenged with. And next week, we'll, we'll talk about how do, you, how do you deal with a heart that's angry? How, how, do you, how do you get yourself set free from an angry spirit? But just in a very practical way today, we wanted to talk about how do we 
in those moments when it can come our way, that we don't allow our anger to become sin, that we don't let what's wrong cause us to do what's not right. And if you just say, Lord, thanks for speaking to my heart today. This was a message that I needed to hear. Would you help me? Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You just say, Lord, I need your help with this today. Would you help me? Yeah, thanks. You can raise your hand, put it right back down. God, just help me in this Christmas season. Lord, this is one of those vulnerable places for us. One of those places where your word speaks such truth to us. Father, would you help us that in our anger we would not sin. Lord, that we would would deal with anger in a way that we don't let the sun go down in our wrath, that we wouldn't make space for the devil. And God, that we wouldn't hinder the blessings that you want to bring in our lives. So instead, Lord, I pray you'd help us to live lives filled with the fruit of the Spirit, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. God, that you would help us so that the world can see you and your love in us to live lives that glorify you in this season. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.